strong voices. It's not just about one state, it's not just about one community, it's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language, I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Coming to you from the Karma Radio Studios on Aranda Country in Central Australia and broadcasting to all nations through Vast Channel 911 on 8KNFM in Mumbanto, Alice Springs, also via the Karma app and online at karma.com.au. Today is Thursday, the 30th of May, 2019. My name is Lorena Walker, and coming up on today's program, our, fo- our first story today, I talked to Russell James, who is the head of the Indigenous Affairs at Coles, about the push to get more employment for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people from around the country. Our second story, Kyle Dowling talks to Barb Shaw about the Uluru Statement from the Heart and what, what will be the steps forward for positive change and our final story Paul Wiles talks to Francis Kelly the chairman of the Central Land Council here in Alice Springs. We will also hear the latest in the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from around the country. Hey mob, this is Patrick Johnson and you're listening to Strong Voices Be Deadly and Stay Deadly Yes, welcome back to the program. In the lead-up to Reconciliation Week across the country, Coles has announced a commitment to further increase its Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander workforce to more than 5,500 team members by 2023. With this new employment target, Coles has also committed to growing the number of Indigenous team members in trade skills and leadership roles uh, in the next four years. So joining me this morning, I talked to Russell James, who is the head of Indigenous Affairs at Coles. So we go to that interview now. I would like to welcome onto the Karma Network, Russell James, Head of the Indigenous Affairs at Coles. So good morning, uh, Russell, and thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning, my pleasure. And Russell, just for our listeners, are you able to tell us uh, about yourself and where you're from? Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, Head of Indigenous Affairs um, at Coles, based in our Melbourne office uh, here in Coles. So Coles obviously has uh, offices all around the country. I've been with the business for uh, just under six years now and, and for all of that time part of the Coles uh, Indigenous Affairs team, of which uh, we have a team of five. This week marked the start of Reconciliation Week across Australia. What is the importance of promoting Coles and also giving the opportunity to Aboriginal and 
Torres Strait Islander people around the country? We think it's it's imperative of uh, of all organisations, particularly large corporate organisations, to play their role from a broader Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, engagement perspective. And and obviously an organisation of our size, so we employ 115,000 people across the country, opens up significant opportunities from for Aboriginal job seekers and and those that are interested in in a job or a career path in retail. So we've uh, our first Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander plan was established back in 2010. So we've really worked hard to embed that plan across the business over the last uh, eight or nine years and really pleasing to see that obviously from a broader employment perspective that we've been able to kind of deliver some some really high quality outcomes, um, particularly over the last five years. Yeah, that's right. It's pretty important. And I think, like you said, it's a great job opportunity. Not only is it, um, like you said, retail, but it's, it's one of those things where, I mean, it's employment. You're getting paid. You're learning on the job. And when I see Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people work my local coals, it's really awesome to see familiar faces and it's uh, an awesome um, initiative. Absolutely. And we do work really hard in our stores and our store uh, managers work really hard around connecting and engaging with local communities. And I guess broadly our uh, recruitment philosophy is around um, ensuring that our, our team members or staff are representative of, of the communities in the locations that, that we serve. So obviously um, places like Alice Springs are really important for us in terms of um, a, a reasonably large Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander um, population. So it's important that we're um, also representative. And I think that the beauty of an organisation like Coles is it doesn't really matter what your background or interest is. There's, there's such a diverse range of, um, of jobs or roles um, and opportunities. And, and, and whether you're kind of looking for, for a part-time job while you're uh, at school or while you're studying or you're looking for a longer-term career, there really is significant opportunities no matter what your your, uh, your interest, your vision is around your, your career path. Last year, um, uh, they had uh, a Coles to mark the employment of Indigenous workers at Coles. And just talking to some young people, even like you said, the wide range of, um, well, the different areas that you can go in. But what I thought was really cool was like talking to a young girl who mentioned um, she was doing sort of the online stuff uh, as well. So, yeah. And I think that that's something that we do work really hard at is, is obviously most people would understand that we have customer service team members, so those that you see on the register, but supermarkets are, are so much uh, bigger and have so many more diverse roles than, than that. So that, that's part of what uh, we do work on and, and the store works on around helping people understand that if you think you might be interested in retail, there really is some significant opportunities. Coles Online is a, is a really great example. Bakery, deli, there's really a whole range of opportunities no matter what your interest is or, or what your technical skill set is. So um, yeah, that, that really is important for us to, I guess, get that message out there and create more awareness around the opportunities and the right opportunities. And an important part of that is working quite closely with, with local communities. So whether that's in Alice Springs or in the other locations that we work, we try to pride ourselves on working with local partners around our employment initiatives. And, and they're obviously the ones that understand the local job seeker market and the community a lot better than, than we do. So those partnerships are really, really imperative for us. The federal government's Closed the Gap uh, 2019 report, which highlighted a lack of improvement over the the past decades with Indigenous employment. This just goes to show uh, the commitment that Coles has to bring that forward and for uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people when they are looking for, for work and especially uh, what Coles has done. That's a really good point and, and certainly where we would never say that the work we do is, is easy. It's, it's, it's not. You do have to work at it. But it's really about having that strong plan 
making sure you resource that. So the fact that we have a team of five in our Indigenous Affairs team who are really supporting job seekers, supporting team members and working closely with our stores is, is really important. Having that senior level leadership support across the business, that's also really important. And, and really we, I guess Coles prides itself on really trying to deliver strong and meaningful and practical outcomes in areas where we know we can make a difference. So as I said earlier, with a broader team member base of 115,000, that, that kind of creates some significant opportunities and we've always got large vacancy numbers. So that's that does open up opportunities for us. And I guess pleasingly, although early on in our, our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander plan, we did have some, some financial support from government. We're, we're completely independent. So all the money that we invest in our Indigenous Affairs team and our associated employment programs and other initiatives is fully funded by Coles. So that's something we're really proud of. Russell, what important message do you have out there to the members of our community or Australia-wide when it comes to employment at Coles? Well, f- firstly, to, to really thank all the individuals and, and organisations nationally who and locally who have been supporting us over the last eight or nine years. It, it, it's obviously, we can only play um, a small role, but we do rely on, on that support and, and particularly the support of our existing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander team members nationally, but also that we're, we're always interested to hear from any potential job seeker who thinks that, that they may be interested in, in a job or a career at Coles. That's uh, something we do encourage and encourage those people out there that may think they're interested to get to go in and, and have a conversation with the store manager or reach out to, to the Coles Indigenous Affairs team. We'd, we'd certainly love to have a conversation with you. Really broadly just thank, I guess, the, the broader Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander community nationally for, for really supporting us because that really is the most important piece and, and what makes our work possible. It really is awesome to see our mob out there and working uh, in Coles. It's good, good to see that. So, Russell, I want to say thank you for joining us here on the Karma Network. No problems at all. Anytime. Hey, this is Kathy Freeman. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Welcome back to the program. Back in 2017 at a National Constitution Convention at Uluru, First Nations groups from across the country came together and delivered a statement from the heart. With the recent federal election coming to a close, uh, how is this progression towards achieving what was set in the Uluru, Uluru Statement from the Heart? Karma's Kyle Dowling recently spoke with Barbara Shaw, one of the uh, Uluru Position Working Group members. So we go to that interview now. Alice Springs Aboriginal rights campaigner Barbara Shaw is an Uluru Statement Working Group member. The group consists of male and female First Nations representatives from across the country who aim to take the reforms from the Uluru Statement from the Heart forward. On the east coast of far north Queensland, members of the working group recently had a meeting in the city of Cairns. This is the second year anniversary of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, and I guess what's got me over um, to Cairns recently is that out of Bullaroo there was there were members elected to be on a working group and to keep um, the momentum of the Uluru statement moving forward so yeah I, I was elected out of this meeting to attend as much meetings as I can to seek support and interest from the rest of the wider public to support the Uluru statement from the heart. And how is that process going? What, what, what are the next steps? I think the next step now, looking at this year's NAIDOC theme, is the Makarara and uh, looking at the boys' treaty and truth-telling. And that's 
those three agenda or topics uh, were most important that people thought would come out of um, the convention at Uluru. People were calling for a voice to parliament and truth-telling across Australia from massacres to keeping parliamentarians accountable to their policies in relation to Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people and treaty is like, you know, making agreements between government, you know, whether it be federal or state territory, and then also having treaties amongst ourselves as Aboriginal people. Was there still optimism and strength moving forward? As we know, there was some pushback from government and and in particular the coalition government with Malcolm Turnbull when he was the Prime Minister, when the Uluru Statement first came out. You know, there have you know, talked about the potential of going to a referendum and, and have, I believe, uh, you know, potentially committed funds towards a voice to parliament. But things like treaty and stuff like that uh, have been a little bit quiet. Um, what, what are your thoughts from that in the meeting? Do, do you think people are still very confident in, in moving forward? I believe that people are comfortable in moving forward. For example, you look at you know, people of Victoria and the Victorian Parliament, well, they want to move on on a treaty process with the people down there. Last year, up at the Barunga Festival, we celebrated 30 years of the Barunga Statement, and which was handed to Bob Cunha, rest in peace, Bob Hawke, our former Labor Prime Minister for the federal government back in 88. And then we had Chief Minister Michael Gunner sign a treaty process between... NT government and the four land councils of the Northern Territory. So things are moving on and I think people are now wanting to have this process move forward and, you know, there are people that have been elected to this by the people to keep it moving and and I guess this is another step for Aboriginal people also to move forward because today we sit on the shoulders of our elders that have laid the foundation in in a lot of this process so our next generation and like for myself and future generations to come they know how hard our old people have fought and struggled in this country and you know this will probably build also on the foundation of reconciliation even though that was a tokenism from um, the John Howard government or era we need to reconcile with our governments, you know, and making sure that we're part of the decision-making process, you know, or have influence around policies that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And you just touched on it then in terms of reconciliation. It is Reconciliation Week. Do you think now is the perfect time to continue those discussions about the Uluru Statement? And we had so many Aboriginal people and, and leaders and community representatives coming together. One would assume that, you know, that, that is obviously the pathway that a lot of Aboriginal people are looking toward. Yeah. Well, you know, reconciliation also is, is to reconcile any past wrongs or past doings. So that's that's an easy way to explain reconciliation. And that also leads into the word makarara is, um, it's a Yulunga word that it's been used for a, for a very long time. And the Yulunga people of East Arnhem Land, they've actually given the rest of Australia to use that, you know, given them permission to use that word. And in the Yulunga language, it means settling our differences after conflict. And, you know, over 200 years, there's been no real reconciling our differences or settling our differences after conflict. So um, it's also another word for a mediation too, you know. So hopefully 
the governments, hopefully they will get it right when it comes to us because we know how to settle our differences. One thing I've got to do is, you know, mention our newly elected Indigenous Affairs Minister who has replaced Nigel Scallion is Ken Wyatt. He's Aboriginal, he's Noongar from Western Australia for the seat of Husluck. So hopefully we will continue dialogues with the federal government even though, you know, and especially for him being Aboriginal and Indigenous, so he should know how we feel, you know. So I guess there's got to be more dialogues with the federal government around all of this. So in terms of like meetings and, and, and spreading the message and things like that with your role within the working group for Uluru Statement of the Heart, can you just explain, uh, you know, is that just where you talk at the meetings or, you know, do you uh, spread that message outside of it and things like that as well? One of the things for myself, being Deputy Chair for the Central Land Council, you know, second the female under the current director, David Ross, um, I'm the second female deputy chair and under the new CEO, I'm the first um, deputy chair for land council. So we have these discussions all the time and where, uh, you know, the Uluru statement from the heart is going to lead us and and where and when it's going to take us forward. And hopefully we will in the future get the right people that's going to be based to represent us at at that higher level within the federal government. I guess where we have these discussions, we have it all the time. I'm due to go to um, Melbourne for a National Native Title Conference and there is another time and space where we can discuss the Uluru Statement as well and see where where we're going at with everything. So there was talks about PBC's prescribed body corporates and where treaty voice and and truth telling is at within our PBCs. So whenever chance I get um, to discuss it, um, I will. Um, even if people ask me questions, I'll I'll, I'll share my thoughts and where we're going to go with it. Um, at the end of the day, everybody needs to be educated on um, the voice, truth telling, and treaty, especially around the Uluru Statement from the Heart. And, and around constitutional change because where this has begun is basically amending or getting rid of the race powers of the Australian constitution and that's where the Uluru Statement from the Heart came from. Welcome back to Strong Voices. It is now time to check out what's happening around the country with the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander News. Uh, joining me in the studio this morning, I do have Paul Wiles and Kyle Dowling. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Lorena. Good morning, Lorena. All right, so we're going to kick off with Kyle. Kyle, I believe you've got a story um, that is uh, about access to banking for the mob. So can you just tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, this is a story from uh, Mortgage Business. So new research from the First Nations Foundation and the Centre for Social Impact and uh, the National Australia Bank, uh, NAB, have revealed that uh, access to Basic banking services continues to be a a real struggle for Aboriginal and and Torres Strait Islander people, even for those who, you know, are starting to, you know, build some of that financial uh, resilience. So over, of the 160, uh, 620, I should say, sorry, uh, Indigenous Australians surveyed, uh, a rate of 75% stated that they had difficulties accessing help from financial service providers, such as a bank or a financial counsellor or something like that. 
So in the last 12 months, uh, with 70.9% having uh, low or moderate financial knowledge and behavior, uh, when describing the difficulties of experience in, in accessing services, participants uh, referenced long wait times for appointments, limited knowledge of what products or services banks actually offered, and actually having a bit of a you know shame factor in actually asking for assistance or help as well, as well as a high cost for support and a bit of a lack of trust as well. So further research has actually showed that 41% of uh, Indigenous Australians have borrowed credit from a banker or Centrelink over the last year, while 27% said they did not need or want to use credit with 11% also stating that they needed credit but couldn't get it. And uh, obviously over the years we've talked about, you know, the we had the recent Banking Royal Commission and things like that, which did reveal some of the, you know, problems in terms of, uh, you know, the different institutions and, and, and banks as well in terms of, you know, dealing with Aboriginal people and, and how there was still... a fair way to go in terms of just very simple things like opening a very simple basic bank account allowing people to be able to access their funds and as we know there are difficulties where you know often people have said oh yeah just going to your local branch when they may be five hours away in a remote community or something like that so there's a lot of concerns obviously for mob moving forward in terms of accessing what should be uh, you know very simple services and and growing their understanding and things like that so I, I think you know, this study is going on to continue to reveal that there's still a long way to go in that in yeah. space. Yeah, definitely. Especially like here where there's so many people coming in from community and mm. m- maybe not sure or don't know what to do when they do come in and um, they're at the bank. And yeah, like sometimes it, it can be a bit daunting, but um, the service is there for people um, if they do have any questions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Over to you, Paul. Okay, well, an opinion piece in the uh, Sydney Morning Herald, uh, Let This Nation Shine, Why BHP Backs an Indigenous Voice to Parliament. This is by the uh, the boss of BHP, Andrew McKenzie. Um, he's written this piece, but uh, raises some uh, interesting points. Um, He says, when I was in Port Headland in January, I was struck by the economic and social gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australia. Now is our chance to bridge that gap. We will hold more talks in the months and years ahead with traditional owner groups to determine how best to fill in the blanks and understand our true history. Um... Mr McKenzie says um, many businesses and individuals have joined forces in a movement of the people to support the Uluru Statement from the Hearts Call to give Indigenous Australians greater ability to shape their destinies. And he says uh, that BHP supports these calls, a First Nations voice that gives Indigenous Australians a say about their own future is vital to bring the best of our civilizations together and to build a future filled with great possibility. Well, obviously, BHP is a significant company and uh, to have uh, them joining uh, uh, other law firms, uh, 21 law firms uh, a few weeks ago announced uh, their support. Uh, We now have BHP and other uh, uh, significant organisations coming on board. Um, I will try and um, contact 
Andrew McKenzie to have a conversation with him and uh, see if we can't share that with our listeners. But um, congratulations to BHP for at least getting on the starting block, but there's still a long way to go. Yeah, that's right. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to mention? Yeah, just to touch on a couple of points. Uh, we did mention yesterday that uh, New South Wales player uh, Cody Walker, in the this is obviously in the NRL, uh, has recently said that you know he won't stand for the national anthem, uh, won't sing the national anthem, I should say, for the upcoming match, which is coming up uh, this next Wednesday on the fifth of June. Uh, another player has thrown their hat into in support of Cody Walker and won't be singing the national anthem. That's uh, Melbourne Storm winger, who's also now the winger for New South Wales, uh, Josh Adokar. He's also come out and said, you know, for him, the national anthem doesn't represent him as an Indigenous Australian. So for him, he's also going to be going on that. And as we mentioned, you know, this is, you know, garnered support from, you know, NRL legends like Jonathan Thurston. You know, we saw similar movements in the US. So... You know, continuing to see that, uh, you know, push from some of the mob around the country in terms of having a national anthem that actually represents, you know, First Nations peoples as well. Mm. Yeah. And, and just on that, uh, Kyle, uh, New Zealand has their national anthem in both languages. Mm. Um, they sing the they sing it with pride, but they sing it in, in both languages. So what a great uh, opportunity again. And as more and more significant players of the game uh, take a stand on this, and we know that uh, you know many of the stars of the game are First Nations players, um, something that the NRL um, can't ignore, and something that the Australian government can't ignore. So again, uh, you know, things the wheels are slowly turning, mm. and um, hopefully we're seeing a, a growing and uh, a better awareness of First Nations peoples and, and their role in this country. Definitely. Yeah, that's right. And uh, just thinking about the year, it, it is almost time for uh, the state of origin once again. So, yeah, we did yeah. mention Kyle. We thought it was last night, but we were a little bit ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, too excited. I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's coming up next Wednesday. That's the fifth of June. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both for joining me uh, this morning, right here on Strong Voices. We'll be back with the last interview from Francis Kelly. Hi guys, this is Dan Sutton, and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yes, welcome back to uh, Strong Voices. If you've just tuned in, coming up next, uh, a interview by Francis Japarula Kelly, who was born at Mount Dorian Station here in the Northern Territory on Walpuri land near Yundamu. His parents came from two different Walpuri tribes. He is a filmmaker and a key figure in the development of Walpuri Media Association, and contributor to develop. Uh, sorry, uh, contributor to the development of Indigenous media and worked in film and television. Francis Kelly has been the chairman of the Central Land Council for the last six years and Francis talks to Karma's Paul Wiles. Francis Kelly, welcome back to Karma. Welcome. Over the last six years as the chairman of the Central Land Council, big decisions have been made, but the role of the Land Council from where you're sitting, tell us how you see what the role of the Land Council is. When I came to be a chairperson, we had a little bit of problems in land council. From one of the previous land council people, he wanted to go other way, like horses running without a saddle. And they put me there to protect land council. Not only me protecting land council, it's a region nine in that land council who got to stand together side by side to support each other. Whitefella governments come and go, Whitefella prime ministers come and go, but the argument and the journey for the mob, 
it's still the same, it's ongoing. What are the mob saying on the ground? Well, I'll put you on a picture because we got these politicians. We picked them good ones, we picked them bad ones. Some of those never listen. I talk through this wordings in our communities. There's nothing happening for our mouth areas. No facilities, no health, and no school is important. Government said, yeah, we've got to fix that one, but nobody come and fix it. I said it to them, it's called, it's a folk tongue, promising people. Yes, we, I'm Kanda. Bloke who works in there, it's called I'm Kanda too, Kanda. In that area, in politicians, he should be doing it, I'm going to do it. Francis, um, we know that the Land Council has an important role to play in development of country, lots of different mobs country. I mean, there's a lot of minerals under that country that the whitefellas want, and we know that it brings a lot of money to communities from royalties. But dealing with what the mob want, if they don't want mining, if they don't want fracking, it's a hard journey to negotiate with the CLC. Well, it's, it's really hard. One thing, yes, we can, we get minerals from mining and that and that mining money goes back to the community and community using it wisely for their kids kids taking it to journeys to look around and we've got wet program education program and we've got other things too like we're looking after our kids program in our communities in that area but one thing government should be listening to us what we want from our minerals and we are doing it for our own people with our own money looking after it our children going into the future apart from mining what do you see on the horizon for mob living on country looking after country how can they benefit the whole community allowing the kids to have a future a job where they can stay on country what are some of the ideas what are the mob- well a lot, of, a lot of good things there, there but nobody follow up but we know the chairperson i was talking strongly to have rangers in the communities where they can learn two ways like tracking, finding out, looking after the country, like basically people not allowed to put fire while it's wind blowing. In certain times, they used to make a bushfire, just put the tucker. People just chucking matches everywhere to destroy the country. That's why we got these rangers to look after the two way of learning, looking after the country, looking after people, getting jobs for young people to work in the rangers. You know, really good. But that government saying, yes, we've got money here, money here, we're going to look after you, mob. Nothing happened. There's money is from their own people, from their own rollies, looking after themselves. Francis, you've had a long involvement uh, with media. The future of media for mob living out in community. Media is a career opportunity. People tell stories on country. Media allows them to tell those stories and to share those stories with a global audience. So why can't government be putting more into media and training for young kids in community? Our media is two-way. It's all about language. That's the media is all about language and culture and communication and learn from each other. For the last I went to Paris, I started working on media. I went to Parramatta and I met this good fella called Tiger Fail. 
I was sitting with him, and I was talking all of all our radios in our urban area. It's all about English, no language. In your area, you're lucky you got languages. So many medias in our community got. We started from PAW and from Karma. To input Perth, we started off with Brax Gear. Perth government gave out two way radios, and that two way radio was Hamburg. People saying Kulini, Kulini all the time in that radio. So that Eric Wilmot, we went to see him in Canberra. We need proper proper facilities for our community to work on the radios. And we did got them. Started from Sandarija, Yundamu, Lajamanu, Kintu, Annabella, South Australia, all that. That's all about the language that people want to learn and learn our kids to be a cameraman, storyteller. They want to do the crobbery or some ceremonies we call a inma. Those sort of things... It's fitting all together in one package. We have seen across the country a lot of big organisations are, are talking about reconciliation action plans. It's the new catchword of yeah. engaging with the mob. Yeah, but, I heard about that one. They talk about reconciliations. What's in that? That's what I want to know. As part of these reconciliation action plans, though, a lot of media organisations now are talking about being more inclusive of the mob in getting mm. them on board. How do you see that working? Or- We've got community media in our area. We are, every year, we got to go to a certain area, learn about others and sharing and learning from each other. Creating jobs into the future, it's like today, so many corrections in our community. Today, you have to go to other communities they're all on mad on footy, AFL. That's all they always think about. You think, when you walk around in this street, you see young people panting the ball along. That's what they take to it. If some of those kids are out in community aren't addicted to football, what, what can they be doing, young, well, young men and women? Well, we're trying to get that job now. We're talking about rangers to put young people in a job to look after the country. I can still have the sports, but... Main thing is we've got to look after old people where they used to be. Identity. For mm. young people now, mm. they've got internet and they're looking at gangster rappers in America. Yeah. They're not knowing who they are. They have a culture that they should be proud of and strong. Well, they should have because at the moment we have so many problems in our people, especially when they come to town. They're not lost, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't come. When they come from the bush to town, they don't even come to look for the jobs. They just come to wander around, doing nothing. They should be doing something else better for themselves or teach young people. Today, we have problem with people who is on dialysis now. That's the biggest problem. How are we going to cure that? We had the NC Corrections Commissioner talking about more programs in community. When we look at how many of the mob are in and out of the big house, wouldn't it be better to have the same sort of programs they run in there, out on community? Well, we've got one now, we, you know, our people, we've got white acts there in Yundamu, looking after those kind of systems. When they get into town, they come up here and talk for them to take it back and they can do better or learn more about workmanship, you know, tradies and all that like mechanical, carpentry. There's none of them happened there in our community. We lost all those fights. Long time it was, you know, people were happy to each other. 
today is, you know, we don't know each, no, don't know each other from now on, you know. Some are too, but I have to say some have like mysteries on their family lines. Some of them lost, they got no family. Some of them, where to, they don't know where to go, they have to be stuck in town. And our people always get into troubles. The problem of, of drugs in community, when young men and women don't have a job or something to keep them engaged, hmm. often drugs come on board. How bad is that in, in community? What does the land council and, and, and community mob need to be doing to, to get rid of that? Land council has been talking strongly on that. It's all about influence in that area, like for smoking. Cannabis, smoking, cigarettes, all to try. You see me in the street here, people walking at town looking for cigarette butts on the ground. That's not good. Mm. They should be going there, two things, other things. In those old days, people been good stockmen where they look after themselves, look after the animal, looking after the country, looking after the water holes. Today, you, you know, it's just nothing. we sad about that. We need government to come up pull their socks up, do something for our communities. Mm. That's what we need. Francis, if you've got a, a message for the young people, young warriors who don't know mm. who they are, young mm. women who have so much knowledge to learn from their elders, what's your message to them? Well, message is I have to put it to the government because today they those, the government should let those things go freely, let our parents to supervise it, Tolerate them, and discipline is the most important to look after it. When you do other things wrong with the kids, they report to their welfare and all that. Oh, he hit me that. we got to do it. In a long time, I used to get hiding from my parents, from my uncle. That's the discipline. They to put them on the right track. Today, you can't talk, you can't argue, you can't tell, because the government's sitting on the top of us. <laughs> From doing things for our kids. You can tell to get a job. He got to find him welfare fellow to give him a job. That's not right. We like ASMA to tolerate our kids to get a job. Because we got language with that one, we got language for our kids to listen to it. It's too much young kids having their headphones on their ears, walking around. That's you damaging your eardrums, not listening, not learning, good education. I want to say to the government, please give us a fair go, give us funding to keep our young people a job, permanent job, not halfway job. Francis Kelly, thank you. Thank you. Good to talk. Thank you all for tuning in to Strong Voices this Thursday uh, for listening to the program. Thank you to our guests uh, as well. Uh, a big uh, thank you to Russell James from Coles, also Barb Shaw and Francis Kelly. Um, yeah, this program is able to be produced with the support of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. And for more information, you can check out our stories 
on the Karma website at karma.com.au or Facebook page. And if you would like to share your story, please get in, con- in contact with us here at Karma. You can send an a- email to reception at Karma or give us uh, a call. Thank you for listening in today. We will be back tomorrow with uh, the best of strong voices for the week. And then uh, also our online news will be out tomorrow afternoon.